Well, hey there, you came back. Time for some more podcasts, eh? Well, before we get into episode 160, uh, let's give you some of the updates that have been going on over at RPGFan.com. So, hey, you may have noticed it's been a busy couple weeks over at the website. First of all, we dropped a new feature. RPG Fan's Music of the Year for 2018 uh, was voted on by various members of the staff. We had a few specific editors throw in their favorites, and from all those tallies, you've got this beautiful feature that shows some of the best music that 2018 had to offer. Over in the reviews department, it's been jumping, for lack of a better term. Uh, we had Taylor Strumwasser, who was reviewing Demon Gaze 2, a traditional RPG, that he gave only a modest 63% to. So go find out what he had to say about that and why it's not quite up to snuff, but still not a bad game. We had a rare retro review come out from Nathan Lee, who hopped back into Pokemon Coliseum to kind of fill in the blanks for us. And from what I understand, it's still a game worth going back to. God Eater 3 dropped not too long ago, and Audra Bowling jumped into that action RPG to let us know how she felt about it, and it seems it turned out pretty good. Myself, Greg Delmage, took a stab at Final Fantasy IX's remaster. We talk about it in this episode, but uh, overall, I thought this return to the classic was pretty rad and gave it an editor's choice, so please check out the full review to find out more on what I had to say there. Bob Richardson played The Stillness of the Wind, which is a lovely looking adventure game that may not play as fun as other games, but lends argument to using video games as a medium to send messages and produce art beyond just being a simple means of distraction. Finally, Neil Chandran jumped into the visual novel How to Sing to Open Your Heart, which, to put it simply, it's a game, and he played it and he recommends other games if you want to play those instead. Not that this one's bad, but it's it's there. Lastly, over in the music department, we got another couple reviews in there. I have been sitting on the Octopath Traveler original soundtrack for a long while as it is a beast of a soundtrack, but I finally managed to put my thoughts to page and bring you this review of this massive soundtrack. As well, Patrick Gann, busy as always, looked at Corpse Party, Blood Covered Sound Collection Volume 2 to follow up the Volume 1 review that I talked about uh, a few episodes back. So please head on over to the website if you want to check out all these features, reviews, and more that I was just talking about. Now without further ado, on to this little two-hander episode 160 of Random Encounter. Hello everyone, welcome to yet another episode of Random Encounter. They still let us do these things, I know, right? Uh, my name's Crazy, Cra- aren't they? <laughs> Mike hasn't they are fired fools. us yet. <laughs> we have him deceived. He hasn't been listening lately, I guess, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is all part of our, you know, evil plan to take over RPG fan and then the entire internet. I mean, uh, would that be so bad? We're good people. Yeah, I think we're good people. The internet's a scary place. We can clean it up, right? Mm-hmm. We'll just get Leona to be, like, the moderator of the internet, and everything will be great. Yes. <laughs> and I can hear Leona scoffing at the prospect of that job. <laughs> yeah, actually, no, I don't think she would want all that, because it can be bad enough sometimes right? with a small corner of the internet. Well, exactly. Our small little Discord can be a handful. She's like, you want me to what? 
And that's my terrible Scottish Not accent. Not that y'all on Discord are bad or evil or whatnot, just that sometimes the conversation is a mile a minute and I have no clue how our mods, including Leona, follow all of that and rein people in. I yeah. wouldn't want that job. <laughs> uh, Leona is the definitely the hero we deserve. Mm-hmm. But that voice of uh, the malicious uh, evil mastermind who co-hosts with me is Kaylin Argyros. Hey, y'all. Leon Cazero, of course. Eventually, I won't have to say this. You all just, like, think it whenever I introduce myself. It's just kind of part of the stream of consciousness, I guess, when when he hears your voice. You just associate (laughs) it with with that. And as you have probably guessed by now, I'm Greg Dalmage, at Greg Dalmage on uh, the Twitterverse. And G Delmi on the Discord. And we are here to talk about some RPGs that have been happening in life. It's uh, break. My daughter's home, so uh, we haven't had a chance, her and I, to play yet because she's been at her dad's for the past couple days. But I'm sure we'll get back to our uh, adventures in Chrono Trigger. Uh, as for myself, I've been covering a game for review. But between that, I've gone back to The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Ooh. I'm not quite done it, but I had taken a break for playing Final Fantasy IX. Uh, Annette and I have been playing more or less simultaneously, which is a challenge because we keep wanting to be like very loosely without trying to spoil things because you can just discover so much in that game. Just kind of like, hey, did you discover this vague thing? <laughs> and they'll be like, as soon as the other person's like, mm, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Okay, cool. And <laughs> just leave it at that. And so it's been a weird trying to talk about it, but not. Because we just know that there's so many surprises you can have in that game. But she's finally starting to feel more confident with the combat. So she's making progress with fighting like the different Ganons and the uh, like the Fireblight and whatnot Ganons inside of the Divine Beasts. Yes. Yeah. And I, meanwhile, I finished off the fourth of the Divine Beasts. My last one I tackled was the Rudanya. Is that the name of the lizard? I, it, I haven't booted up Breath of the Wild in quite some time. So I don't remember their name. I feel like that's the name. I remember the lizard, though. That was the last one I just tackled. So uh, it was the last on my list. And I was wondering how challenging the fight might be. But uh, I caught Annette was doing it a bit. And she was stumped on some stuff. But once she kind of figured it out, uh, I was just like, oh, okay, that's it. And it was actually a very easy fight to plow through. Uh, one thing about that, though, is I'm very annoyed with myself having taken so long exploring the world and i uncovered the entire map before i took out any of the other divine beasts i started with uh is it Vaughn meadow um i forget the one that's the 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 elephant one that's in uh, the zora's domain so i had mifa's grace power but i didn't have any of the other powers i just went around exploring everything and i finally took out the bird and got rivali's gale and was like this would have made climbing all of these towers so much easier (laughs) So I felt like kind of a fool in that aspect, but it still was kind of nice just seeing the entire map every time I booted up and being able to just go wherever the heck I please. So yeah, that's what I've been kind of playing for funsies, uh, and it's been really great getting back to you. I'm trying to get the last of the memories completed, and uh, that's where I'm at right now. What about yourself? What have you been playing for fun when you're not uh, grinding away for RPG fan? Uh, well, aside from, of course, you know, Final Fantasy XIV, I'm doing that. Every week, still raiding with my static. What's the sorry to ask? What's the what are you raiding for particularly? Um, so every expansion has the eight man raids. A Realm Reborn had the Binding Coil of Bahamut. Heavensward had Alexander, and Stormblood has Omega. And it's a series of uh, three tiers that have 
usually four fights a piece that has some story along with it and usually involves some fun bosses. In particular, Omega was pulling enemies from other dimensions, other worlds, and in this case they were pulling them from other Final Fantasies. So like the previous tier was a Final Fantasy VI themed tier, so you had Kefka and whatnot. But there are two versions of all of these fights, and there's the story mode that is easier, and for, so that everyone who wants to see the story can get through it. And then there's the I can hear your air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> I I did actually do that. You're you're not. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean it's not really like they are literally very easy, much easier than the the savage versions of the fights, and that's what people who are raiding in a like a static like I have that's what they're that's what they do um every tier is they go through the savage fights and they are savage they are very difficult they require a lot of time and practice to get through and we're still we're still uh working on clearing the last fight in this final tier it's been it's taken a while for my group to to get there so is it essentially you keep playing until a certain point or you just keep playing until you all drop and you're like well all right let's go back to the drawing board figure out what went wrong and see how much further we can progress the next time so statics usually have set raid time so they'll go for a couple hours on a few days a week and they don't usually go beyond that um unless you're like right at the end of a fight and you feel like you can you can the next attempt will be the clear oh okay so it's mostly just playing up until a certain point for that within the time frame of that evening and whether yeah success or failure happens yeah yeah which is which can and be failure doesn't set you back too far i mean each each fight is a, it's its own instance you don't you don't have to redo well okay take that back you have to until they unlock the tier you have to do the previous fights or someone has to pull you into a later fight if you want to do that and I, I guess to explain that every until they unlock the content it, um your progress resets every week uh, on Tuesday mornings. So if there are four fights in the tier and you only clear the first three and you you don't get to the fourth fight, um, when you get to that next reset, that next week, you have to do the first three fights again to try and get to the fourth one. Unless somebody who's already been to that last fight can pull you in and then you skip ahead. Gotcha. But they're about to unlock. I don't know if it's going to happen with the patch that's coming next week or if it's going to be in April, but they're they're about to, I'm sure, unlock the last tier so that you can skip ahead without needing to do the previous fights. And so you can also farm the fights as many times as you want to get all the drops you need. Is that the reason why they don't unlock it initially? It's just to kind of reduce people's ability to just farm it for the best equipment and basically yeah. have no end game until the next release? Yeah, they need they they try to pace things for people so that they don't burn through all of the new content immediately and then have nothing to do because um, you know that's part of the game is the gr the grind to gear up your characters and it wouldn't really be much of a grind and it wouldn't really require you to spend a lot of time in the game and maintain your sub if you could just you know skip ahead immediately and just farm out a fight and be done with it yeah and then just resub or whatever once the next thing drops yeah and there are people that do that but they're generally not people that are uh raiding uh, at least not doing the current raids no and again are you doing those four specific gears that way or are you just doing it for the bragging rights of we did the raid uh, it's both i mean 
all of us that do this kind of, you know, it's a, it's partly about the achievement of getting through a tough fight, finishing it, mastering it, and clearing it. And then it also is about getting the gear because the gearing system is you, you have two options to gear up, one of which requires that you grind for tones, which you can only get a certain amount of every week, so it limits how much you can buy. And then the fights themselves also drop gear that is a uh, uh, high level. And depending on what stats you want for your characters, you'll have a mix of uh, both types of gear. So it's as much about progressing through the fight and actually just, you know, uh, performing on the fight and getting the fight down as it is clearing the fight so that you can get gear or upgrade items so that you can then, uh, you know, upgrade your character and hopefully make future attempts easier which makes sense what piece of gear are you coveting the most right now caitlin uh well we're on the last fight of the tier and that's that fight always drops uh weapons and chess pieces for characters and i need both of them for my best in slot this time so uh, the weapon is almost always a given you almost always want the uh the weapon from uh, from the Savage tier uh, over the Tome weapon. Uh, chess pieces maybe a little bit more, you know, give or take. This time, I just need the stats from both of them, so... What main is your class again? Uh, I main White Mage. Right, so you're looking for Wisdom? Uh, well... N- or Mind? I forget what it goes by. Mind, well, the Mind is... I can't I can't really get better stats. Uh, you, you, you can usually never get better main stats no matter what equipment you're using cuz that's always that's always on every piece of equipment and it's usually the cap for what you can have for that stat. So it's about it's okay. a, it's about substats um and my my priority is almost always a, a, a high crit build. The meta right now for healers in Final Fantasy 14 is pretty much uh, within reason try to get as much crit as you can, at least until you hit a stat cap that you want, um, and then fill out with things like determination and, and uh, spell speed. So my, my priority is usually as much crit as I can without super duper sacrificing my debt or my spell speed, or in some cases, my piety. Because unfortunately, the gear that has the highest crit this tier also is kind of stingy with piety, so I had to balance things a little bit. I wonder if that has to do with uh, the Shadowbringer stuff. Is that kind of a lead into that? Oh, uh, no, I don't. I don't. It's it's not. I don't think it's related. Just coincidence. No, I mean, yeah, it's just they they come up, they have different sort of, you know, options every tier with regard to gear. And sometimes it's perfect for the build that you want, and sometimes it's kind of shitty, and you have to uh, make adjustments and take a piece that maybe you otherwise wouldn't want for the stats just in order to not drop so far uh in a different stat gotcha for the critting does that benefit i guess your healing like so you can get crits on your heals or uh, how aggressive are you as a white mage uh so crit can go both ways it can crit heals but it can also mean crit for dps uh for damage and i try i'm i'm by no means one of the most aggressive healers out there that does like you know, orange parse level DPS while not letting people die. But I do try to DPS as much as I can, as much as I feel comfortable with the fight. Um, so, and crit helps for, for both of those. I certainly like seeing crits uh, when they're, uh, 
when they're doing when they're you know coming at, a, at an opportune time the, the 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 risk with crits and heals is that you run the risk of having a crit heal when you don't actually need the extra healing power and that just is you know oh you know at that point your question is well should I have used a different substat or am I making things more difficult for the tanks by having these huge mega heals and drawing more hate and whatnot? But usually I think the the way the community's fallen is that the, the benefits of critting when it's necessary, when that extra healing would actually save someone or make uh, a particular damage output uh, easier for the raid to get through, and of course, the benefits of critting when you're DPSing um, kind of usually outweigh the potential the overhealing risk. Or that's my understanding, anyway, um, of the meta. For and it's so strange to hear that too much healing could be a bad thing, but I'm guessing there's a higher meta to overheal it all. is a thing. Because I mean, on the one hand, you know, if you're overhealing a lot, then you could be spending probably casts DPSing instead, which helps the fight go by faster and helps you pass DPS checks. And then, yeah, the, the you know, um, healing, gener- all healing pretty much generates hate, uh, which the tanks have to worry about and the healers themselves have to worry about. And sometimes crit can factor into that and make it more difficult. White Mage already has hate problems because big powerful AOE heals and uh, uh, hots that take over time. So, which they said that they reduced the enmity generation for pretty much everything that White Mage does, at least their GCD heals with the uh, the previous patch. I don't know that I've really noticed it having a significant difference in my hate generation, but that's compounded by the fact that the tank strategy is and has been for quite some time is to skirt the line between survivability and dps so tanks are will often run as much of a fight as they can out of tank stance in order to maximize dps which of course means that they will generate less enmity which means that i will take more enmity and have to balance it that way so it's you know there's a complex science to it, it all. Is, yeah, there it often is. Does sounds like there is for the for the high end stuff. I will say that all of this talk. This is purely about end game rating. So extreme fights, the savage fights. I haven't even touched the ultimate fights, but those are even more obviously more difficult and would require higher tuning of gear and player skill and strategies and whatnot. So if anyone has been checking out the game lately because of Scott streaming or they got the the starter pack from Twitch or whatnot, and if this is scaring anybody, don't be scared. You don't have to do any of this. Uh, I think the game is great without it. And if you do get into it, this is this right now sounds like I'm like talking up in the stratosphere but you know you'll if you're interested in rating for people like me yes <laughs> if you're interested in rating you know just ease into it do some of the old raids find a static you know learn as you go i wasn't i'm not i wasn't the healer that i am now when i started i was very 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 nervous didn't really know a whole lot uh because i hadn't really healed high level content before uh, I very much did not like to DPS at all when I first started healing uh, in raids because I was so scared that I would let people die. And that was also back during the time when Cleric Stance was stupid because it was a toggle between your healing power and your DPS power, which always made me nervous. I was afraid if I 
activated Cleric Science VPS, then somebody would get near critical health and I would have to wait like five, ten seconds to switch back. Um, but, you know, it's, as with everything else in games and MMOs in general, it's, you know, it's a gradual acclimatization process. Yeah, and you'll get out of it what you want to put into it, really. Yeah. Well, all that uh, crazy meta science of Final Fantasy XIV aside, uh, you were also talking earlier God of War you've, you've ripped through finally. Yeah, I finished the main story for God of War. I have a few... Uh, few things left to do side quests end game kind of post game stuff uh left to do but i beat the main story oh my it's a very very good game you know you're playing a good game when you you know you're getting close to the end either because of the way the story's ramping up or because you've like looked to see people telling you like about how many hours do i have left you know it's a good game when you get to that point and you're kind of sad, like you don't want the journey to be over because it's been so much fun. I get that. And I like I I wanna dive back in and do a new game plus, but I'm I don't I don't think I'm going to have the free time for a while, so it's gonna have to wait. But it was a great ride from start to finish. And I I've said this twice now, but this is like I'm now a God of War fan again because of this. And I hope that they will... I, I can't imagine that they're not going to continue this. I think the, the success of the game critically and financially is such that there's definitely going to be a sequel. So, And there's plenty of material left for them to, to, to explore if they want to. There was a cliffhanger at the very end of the game, which seemed, you know... They knew when they were doing this that they were going to lead into something else. So. so there's more on the horizon for old man Kratos? Yeah. Well, maybe. Or do you think the sun might take over? I don't know. I haven't played the story, so I don't know. I think uh, I think the sun will take over. I think Atreus will eventually be the player character. I don't know if it's going to be in the next game or a hypothetical third game. Um, there are story reasons why I'm saying this which I won't spoil because it's very much at the end of the Respect game. That. But it also kind of seems like the whole the whole underlying story between Kratos and Atreus is beyond like Atreus learning who his father is and bonding with his dad and whatnot. It's also about getting Atreus ready to survive in this harsh world that is... Much like in the original trilogy where the gods were basically all dicks, the gods are the Norse gods are basically all dicks, with one or two exceptions. So it's it's as much about getting Atreus ready to deal with that, possibly with or without Kratos, as it is about like their own personal relationship as father and son. So yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes, if Atreus becomes the player character down the line. Uh, all this good talk from yourself and many others now, I'm just like, nah, I'm probably going to buy in this game sometime, yeah, in the next year or two to, probably when it comes on discount or something to go back to, because just too much good has been said about it that is giving me faith in wanting to try the series out for myself, so. You should. And I, I, I was thinking about this, I was trying to think about how I sat on this because it's a continuation of the character and the story. It's not really a reboot in the sense that it doesn't start the the history over again, but a lot of the game 
doesn't really require that you have deep knowledge of the events of the previous trilogy. Oh, thank goodness. Like, I mean, it Kratos' past gets brought up and there are some things that, you know, you might miss if you didn't play. But, I mean, the vast majority of the game is about what they're doing right now and and all that. So, on the one hand, I, I don't think it would be necessarily difficult or weird for someone to play this game without having played the original trilogy. On the other hand, a major part of the story is about Kratos somehow helping his son to become better than he was. And that sort of looming past of his, uh, who he, the, the man that he was, the things that he did, it's all sort of, you know, hanging over everything that happens in the game at least it is for a player that knows those events and to a certain extent i think some of the weight of what happens in the game has weight because the player at least in my case i played through the original trilogy so i knew what happened i knew exactly what kratos did i knew what a horrible monster he was and had become not necessarily, you know, entirely of his own volition because the gods were totally messing with him throughout all three games. But still, that made some of these the plot moments more impactful. So, you know, on the other hand, I kind of want to say if you haven't played the original trilogy, maybe you should. But at the same time, I got so turned off by God of War 3 in particular, that I kind of don't want to send people and say, hey, play through these really gory, really violent games where the main character shows little to no remorse and is basically a jackass dealing with other jackasses who happen to be bigger jackasses than him most of the time, but still doesn't really excuse the crap that he does, just so that you can have the full context for this reboot slash sequel to have the story beats have a bit more of an impact. I mean, it's this, that kind of, it's a weird thing where I both want to say, if you haven't played the first three games, you might want to play them or spoil yourself with a, a summary, plot summary first. Well, I was going to say, there's even walkthroughs at this point, and then you can skip past parts that you're like, eh, I don't need to see this. Yeah, yeah that might be the sort of the happy medium is to just watch a let's play or to watch uh, i'm sure they have videos that are just a combination of all the cutscenes from the previous games that you could watch and that would get you by just why haven't we gotten i mean kingdom hearts gets the story so far why don't they have one for god of war and it's basically just going to be like epic voice with guitar but like boobs blood kratos is mad screw the gods <laughs> and then that's about it those videos were so good <laughs> Uh, I'm sure they're, I remember even like for Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, there was like a, a story so far, a little video that it was so funny to have this like compilation of cutscenes and gameplay with like the old PlayStation 1 Final Fantasy VII models. And then you go and watch those gorgeous film afterwards <laughs> to kind of follow up to this, like really the story just to get you caught up. It was a weird juxtaposition of the styles just to make sure people understood what was happening in this bonkers film that I do love for what it is. But that's cool, and yeah, hopefully we'll get some more uh, God of War with this kind of lineage uh, that they've definitely brought back to life. I don't think the studio's done anything uh, in bad faith for its fan base, so you're likely right to assume there'll be more. I hope so. 
I want more. So, yeah, speaking of bringing things back, Final Fantasy IX finally made its way to the Xbox One and the Switch uh, back on that Nintendo Direct, which I'm blanking on the date. I meant to look that up. It was March 5th. Is that right? That sounds very possibly right. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm sure someone will correct me on it. But either way, Final Fantasy IX came out on the Switch, and I jumped at the opportunity to uh, go back into it and play it for RPG Fan. Uh, I played through it many years after its release, back on the PS1, though. Did you ever do Final Fantasy IX? Game? Oh, yeah. PS1, baby. <laughs> Did you get it, like, basically right around launch, or was it, again, one that you came to late? Pretty sure I played it when it came out. Yeah. I think I would have ha- I would have had to. <laughs> Why would you have had to? Were you like craving more Final Fantasy by that point? I don't know how to how how to really answer that question other than that when it came out I was in high school and I didn't have the means. Didn't have money. <laughs> didn't have me yeah, so I mean like if I wanted to play something I had to try and get it and play it then because it wasn't like I was going to have the disposable income to go back and and buy backlog games on top of new releases. And I, I'm pretty sure I was just super hyped for it because that was like Final Fantasy VII was my first Final Fantasy, and I loved that. Didn't like eight so much, but I was still very much in that kind of. Um, oh my god, I love Final Fantasy. Oh my god, I love Square Soft at the time. Um, you know, I was very much very in love with the whole series. So like being able to experience a new Final Fantasy day one or, you know, around release was like super like I was going to totally be a part of that. Well, yeah, because we especially if you had bounced off of eight, you then really didn't have a Final Fantasy since 97. So you're waiting three years for that. Yeah. And seven was out when I discovered it. It was already available. So I didn't get in on that whole pre-release hype kind of thing. Um, I don't remember if I... You just kind of stumbled into it. Yeah. Oh, what was it? I like... It was a demo disc that I got with my PS1, I think. And it was like the opening bombing mission. And I was like, this is cool so i had to have it i don't remember if i was following a lot of eight i was you know of course perusing things you know the the gaming magazines and whatnot because back then that was how we all got our gaming news pretty much but i don't remember if i was super following eight or if it wasn't until nine that i started kind of you know keeping up on pre-release hype but i'm sure that factored into it too was you know hearing all the good things about this game so so yeah so i played it when it was current, I guess you'd say. Gotcha. And then almost pretty much never again. I don't think I've actually gone through <laughs> the entire game since my first playthrough. Well, it's, yeah, it's like a good book. And, you know, if you get back to it, you get back to it. But at least it's always there. It's a it's long, good book. Like, when I was tempted to replay it, we didn't even have the PC port yet. So there was no fast-forwarding anything. And I think I tried once to replay it, but got really bogged down by how slow the battle system is when you're playing it vanilla. Yeah, those opening animations and like yeah, the trance animations, all that sort of stuff just really starts to take its toll. All of it is slow. <laughs> it slows I mean, things the, down. the opening's slow as crap, but it's like every everything in that battle system, be you know, just between doing basic attacks seems to take forever. If you play it without um, any speed boost. Yeah, because I felt it was endemic of the era. I'd brought this up once on the podcast before, too, that back with the PlayStation and the advent of 3D animation and graphics and such, 
developers were just kind of running with that now that they had more space more time to play with more flash to play with they were purposely mm. making things take a little longer and be a lot flashier and sometimes to our detriment as gamers i think they also might have been getting a little too interested in i want to say i'm not sure what the how to express it making things cinematic like making the whole experience cinematic because we yeah just capturing the cinematography of it all yeah we were used to beautiful fmvs by that point already but i you know you saw every successful Final Fantasy tried harder and harder to make the the non FMVs uh, FMV parts of the of the game look nice. Like the gameplay look... cutscenes. Yeah, yeah, and I wonder if maybe they just kind of went a little bit too far with with nine uh, as a vanilla experience. Yeah, it was near the end of the life cycle. They're trying to push everything. Yeah, like as far as the actually injected into the battle sequences itself as opposed to just story cutscenes. so yeah exactly i also wonder how close nine came to at any point if it was ever going to get switched over to the ps2 or if it was so far over in development because the ps2 ps2 was right around there since 10 was on was a, a ps2 release yeah march 2000 is when the playstation 2 came out so as you were saying about 10 10 came out in 2001 i want to say yeah so there probably was talks at some point of potentially switching it over. I mean, it was a six-year life cycle. This was at the very end of it. it yeah, it would have cut it close, and it would have been really interesting to see what it could have uh, become had it been a PlayStation 2 title instead of PlayStation 1. But 10 definitely also is very cinematic, I found, as well. Yeah, but but in a way that, that worked much better in 10. Yeah, if anything, 9 may have helped them kind of iron out some of those kinks yeah. that they kind of were learning. Through 7, 8, and 9, you could see them in various ways exploring more cinematic storytelling. Uh, that's what I think also marveled at, even with like the front mission games as well that Square was developing. Like, yeah, the FMVs were always very cinematic, but definitely it was few and far between the cutscenes in any games were with uh, in-game models and stuff were that cinematic, so... Yeah, maybe they're just kind of testing the waters for yeah, a new generation and a more powerful system that would let them get away with a lot of this stuff more seamlessly. Uh, as for myself, like I said, yeah, it took me a while before I ever got around to playing it. I think my best friend's brother got a PlayStation 2 and had sold me his PlayStation. And really quickly, I bought Final Fantasy VII, which would have been almost like seven years after it came out. And I finally was able to play it for myself for the first time. I highly enjoyed that experience. And then I think I picked up 8, bounced off it. And then I eventually got nine as a gift, but it wasn't like years until I finally got around to playing it for whatever reason, just again, backlog reasons. I had stuff to play, other things to do, life to go through, university to succeed at, <laughs> you know, priorities. <laughs> yes. Nine was uh, pretty great. I just have a lot of fond memories from it that stuck with me, just as any of those three games did. And I don't know, I find like the discussion has always been pretty divisive as to which one of those three people liked the most. Obviously, everyone is a huge fan of 7, and I feel like 9 kind of gets overshadowed a bit. Yeah. And again, how much is that is just because it was the first one of that generation. I don't know. But personally, I think, yeah, 9 lands really well, even though it is a very safe Final Fantasy. Because they were kind of going back to the roots after having kind of done something similar to what we just saw with 15, where they have gone far left of field with the setting from what you would typically expect of a fantasy game. And then kind of slowly but brought it back, so as we've hypothesize maybe 16 will be a lot more of that rudimentary fantasy that we uh we know the original series to be for just because 
with how 15 was critically uh, panned in many ways, they might be looking for a safe bet on the next one. Mm-hmm. I mean, y- y'all know how <laughs> I feel on that, so I nope, don't have I think to. We've got that I don't really have to say anything, do I? To the podcast, they 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 know. But with nine, <laughs> it was clearly again they just wanted to kind of go back to that traditional thing to round out that trilogy for lack of a better term. And it does that really well. Like it plays like a better Final Fantasy one in many ways or for, you know, that first generation that was all very much rooted in the fantasy element. And even with its like medieval-ish inspired soundtrack and the aesthetic of it all, like, you know, it's got airships and stuff like that, which we've always had in the series and a little bit of steampunkiness to it in, but more in the Victorian sense, not so much the, the cyberpunk way that Seven went with it. And it's yeah. just such a magical world. It's just so delightful to run around such a vibrant, colorful collection of, you know, set pieces and stuff. That being said, the overworld, I forgot how bland it kind of looks. I mean, it's just because there's does, so much of the mist, it? but it's just kind of... The mist, eh. yeah. Which was like, I guess, it is the mist continent, so there should be mist. But I also remember thinking at the time, and whenever I look back on screenshots, like, eh, do they really want it to be the mist continent? Or they did they just call it that because graphical limitations being what they were, it was going to have yeah, mist. Yeah, that short uh, draw distance and everything. Yeah. But it just felt like, I seem to remember, at least with 8 and 7, like just the world maps... They were arguably, they are possibly more uh, smaller maps. I don't know the hard facts on that, but I just found them both to be much more memorable and interesting. And you could mm-hmm. even argue some of the ones from the SNES games are very uh, interesting. And uh, especially like 6 has a really, both of its world maps are polarizing in a way. Like you can remember specific things about them. But this one, just kind of running around in between like Lindblom and the valley underneath it like it just kind of felt and there's a forest and some grass and some mountain ranges and then a very close draw distance so it just felt very uh, suffocating and then you finally get to the continent where there is no mist so the draw distance is bigger but again there's not really a lot to look at that really sets the landscape apart it's just that seems to be the one area where they kind of phoned it in for lack of a better term yeah like all of the design kind of went into the actual areas with the pre-rendered uh, backgrounds which are those are great even though they do look uh, yeah. really sad when paired up next to the hd models now yeah that you can see it in the screenshots even it's like oh kind of like you can't you can't help but notice the fuzz exactly and it just seems bizarre that i don't know what the limitations of why they couldn't clean those up as well and like if you can go back and do the fmvs which in my mind sounds like a more complicated process why couldn't you do it for the backgrounds yeah i don't know i mean they had they had the original assets right i mean yeah i don't think it was a question of them being lost or anything so i'm wondering if it was budget if it was time saving i'm not sure what the deal was yeah maybe it was it would have been so much more work for them to do i mean yeah exactly they're trying to get it for a specific release date maybe it just would have made it too clunky frame rate wise like i don't know but you figure with this day and age, it wouldn't have been Oh, an well, issue. yeah, especially on Switch. I was going to say on PC, that would not be a concern, but but on Switch. Yeah, which on the Switch, the only big issues I found were uh, technically was just there was a slowdown on the overworld map, which I found was weird. Because, again, I would think technology these days it would be able to pump that out. No problem if it's a PlayStation game with, you know, some slightly upwards graph um, textures. You would figure there wouldn't be any big frame rate drops but when you go to the overworld map whether you're in handheld or docked there's a frame rate drop when you speed up the game it goes away of course 
and plays as fluidly as everything else. But it just seemed weird that that's where there was like a, such a weird slowdown. Is uh, I forget is seven already on Switch or has that not come out yet? No, it hasn't come out yet for one reason or another. I'm not sure why. Why they did nine first? Okay, because it would be interesting to see when it comes out uh, if there's also problems with the overworld or if it's something specific to nine. Yeah. And I can't remember from my playthrough back when, like I'm wondering if it's just part of the architecture that it's just like that. Like it has an intentional slowdown that's just built into the programming to save on like the, the punishment that it would have had on the PlayStation back in the day or whatnot. And it's just inherently there and they just didn't yeah. take it out. I've heard of those sort of things mm. being in there. So maybe it's just a limiter. I'm not sure. Uh, let's see, seven, uh, seven's actually coming out next week. Well, hopefully one of us will jump on yeah. that. I will, maybe. I don't know if I'm done with Left Alive and it's done with me. <laughs> but Is it ever done with you, really? <laughs> we'll find out. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. And then, yeah, the other slowdown was, the, again, I'm playing it off of a, a micro SD, which I mentioned in my review, but I still found like some of the load times into battles were really weirdly long. And that's not even like with the whole startup animations and stuff, which you can turn off. Like, it just seemed to take uh, an especially long time when you first booted up the game as well and got into your first random encounter. It mm. just, you just chugged through that loading black screen for a weirdly long time. But then I found everything else was pretty standard, so I just don't know what it is about the battle system and the the engine of what it's loading up, why there's so much for it to process, but it really takes its time. I don't remember, does Switch let you transfer data between the micro sd and the built-in storage i remember looking it up back when i first got my micro sd i forget how it does it like it installs it to your hard drive first if there's space and if not then they'll bump it over to the sd but i think the saves are stored on the hard drive well i just mean could you delete the game not the saves but the game itself from a micro sd and install it instead on the built-in storage and see if there's a difference i probably could do that yes if i um took whatever was off of my built-in storage i could definitely do that for sure it just it's a uh, there's no way to transfer it which is a weird clunky process of the switch right now with data transfer and whatnot they, the only way to do that is to yeah literally delete the file and reinstall it from the Nintendo store. So unfortunately, it's nothing new for Nintendo. Yeah, the you know, two steps forward, one step backwards. One step back, yeah. But anyways, all that aside, the game's oh, it's such a delightful thing to return to. Uh, just all the magic was there, which my review says as much of, and I just was happy to have a reason to play this game again. Like you were saying with uh, your own experience, how you haven't gone back to it. I've also wanted to go back to it at some point as well, but there's just too much else that has demanded my attention. I still have my PlayStation copy. Fully want to go through oh, it again because really? I love it. Yeah, I oh, have wow. uh, the original. I have the entire original lineup on my PlayStation. That's what uh, Gwen and I are playing Chrono Trigger on. Is uh, Chronicles? Oh. I think it was the one that was Final Fantasy Four and Chrono Trigger. Either way, that's the one we're playing it on. So yeah, I've got the, uh, I've got my whole original set and my PlayStation to play it on. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just time. So. When the offer came up, I was like, yeah, I'll, this is a good excuse to get back into it. And having these new quality of life adjustments just makes the game that much better. So if anyone is on the fence about going back to an older RPG and has the experiences that you said you had with uh, Final Fantasy IX when you tried it up again, mm -hmm. this is definitely the way to play it. Not only because you now have it on the Switch and it's on the go on a much nicer screen than, say, like Android or iOS. The fact that if you want to dock it and play it on TV, it's interchangeable, makes it like the best version as well. And... 
you can just cater to however you want to play like as you are of this audience we've grown up we've got jobs we've got places to go things to do and grinding through a game isn't always you know the best use of our time so when a game presents you with a way to either do away with grinding completely because you just want to go through the story as this does with all the different boosters that are installed now or if you do want to do the grinding but yeah you want to put it on fast forward give yourself a boost in battle so that way you can just kill everything like turning on the 9999999 booster which makes every single hit <laughs> even with like vv and his little rods they everything he's hitting is doing that much damage so if you just want to rip through stuff if only to earn the skills or experience relatively vanilla it just makes the experience that much quicker for people who want to play it a little more purely so to speak and that's an important part for me because i mean i still want to be a purist about it and feel like i earned a lot of these things so i want to put the work in but i also don't want to yeah be sitting there grinding for hours on end and be like okay well i just played through how much of this game and how much of that was me just sitting there like repeatedly pressing this button to get through a battle you know uh, what i could have cut that time in probably in half or in a th by a third so may as well just do it that way and Gwen wants to pick it up and play it the complete pure version and experience it with you know the time that a child has she can do that too mm -hmm. yeah. and I think it's great that it's it still offers that original version as well as all these updates that you can run through the game so much easier with um speaking of to you bringing up 14 earlier you know, we've seen uh, Ramza come into tactics. Do you ever think they'll bring any of like the seven, eight or nine kind of content to 14? Has there been any references, I guess, to any of those beyond like Alexander, which had uh, a really great big show in Final Fantasy IX? To the best of my knowledge, keeping in mind that I may be wrong because I'm trying to remember three different content expansions. There's um, been a lot. <laughs> I don't remember anything major from eight. Seven hasn't necessarily had anything big outside of um the i think cloud's um classic uh soldier outfit is a is a, is a design that you can use oh cool squalls is as well and i guess i take back what i said about eight the new tank that's coming in Shadowbringers is called gunbreaker they use a gun blade oh, okay so, so it's something loosely that's kind of a final fantasy eight reference yeah there's the uh the Fenrir bike from Advent Children is a mount. It was you could get it by going to FanFest, but I also think you I think they put it up on Mog uh, Station afterwards. So one way or another, you can get that. There was a lot of rumor or not rumors. There was a lot of speculation with the last the last raid tier, um, because every tier was Omega pulling from different worlds, aka different Final Fantasies. Right. There's. There was speculation after second tier was six themed that the last tier would be Final Fantasy seven, and it wasn't. And I think the twelve it wasn't because as awesome as that would be for the fanboys to have, you know, like the last fight be against Sephiroth, I really did not want that. That would just be so like people already complain to a certain extent about the fan service in the game, which I like for the most part, but I think that would have probably been a bit too far for me. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel it'd be more fitting to have like Genova or something, like yeah. have this calamity from another world collide with the Final Fantasy fourteen world, which would make sense for seven. Yeah, um, there have been a, a few things. There was a twenty four man raid in Heaven's Word that uh, was Final Fantasy nine themed. It had a main theme that was uh, basically pulled from Final Fantasy IX's main battle theme, and you had some some boss fights in there. Um, there, there are little things here and there, like the clothing or a mount or, you know, maybe uh, a battle theme or whatnot, um, but nothing 
nothing like Return to Ivalice in Stormblood, where we, we were literally sort of adapting and transplanting Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy Twelve stories into Eorzea in Final Fantasy Fourteen. Mm. Doesn't mean that they won't do something like that. Um, we don't know what the theme of the the raid is going to be in Shadowbringers. Hopefully, they're they'll hint at that Final or Fantasy unveil five. it. Uh, maybe. <laughs> That's, that I was feel like a heavy that wouldn't sigh. go over very well with people. I just find for myself, I find five is the most polarizing when regarding blue mages for me because i think it's where mm. i just first discovered them there's japanese fan fest this weekend so as of tomorrow and this weekend we'll have some more de- details so maybe maybe we'll know what the raid is going to be the uh the savage raid is going to be for Shadowbringers. maybe it will be something like that i think after omega and the sort of the reference nature of omega pulling from other final fantasies i I would like maybe a more original raid for uh for 14 or at least, you know, maybe a a primal or a summon that's unexpected, something like that. But I guess we'll find out. Yeah, no doubt. They they will definitely continue to do little nods like this back and forth. We already know that the 24 man is going to be uh penned by Yoko Taro. It's going to be a near themed 24 man raid, so you're not going to have probably not going to have final fantasy references in that per se like not like from numbered final fantasies anyway no but it would be interesting yeah to see if someday they just pull on that for end game content again because they've got so much to draw on in this franchise that they can keep doing their own original stuff with these odd nods back to past games like with they just did with evilice uh, mm-hmm. yeah i don't know as far as nine goes though if i were to ever play uh through 14 i would definitely pick up zidane's outfit if it was an option I want those cufflinks, whatever they that are. That is an option, actually. Oh, his, his outfit is an option. It's one of the only ways right now that you can get jeans. <laughs> if you want your character in jeans, his, his pants are basically like a jean-like material. How weird. I wouldn't have thought of them as jeans to see them in the game. Like They're more like, yeah, like a weird pantaloon no, bloomer thing No, but they definitely have that kind of look in 14. How they adapted so. them, I guess. That's okay. I just yeah, want his, like, his cufflinks that don't have sleeves, whatever they are things yeah what's up with that like what <laughs> what what purpose does that serve he, he he i think subscribes to uh to Beau beauregard slash marisha ray's philosophy from critical role of sleeves are bullshit because he doesn't wear sleeves but he does have you know little uh cuffs i mean you so, need something to accessorize with right yeah <laughs> so all that being said final fantasy 9 is definitely i think still a relevant game to play and the switch has just made it that much more accessible so if anyone has ever wanted to return to it my review on the website says it in far more words but it's uh definitely worth playing again i found and it was just a lot of fun to return to Uh, as far as returning to things caitlin's gotten back into edge of eternity chapter two because they passed that along for us to try out What's uh, your thoughts there? My first thought is that this game's going to be huge. It's going to be a long game because this is chapter two and they they haven't roadmapped a huge amount of chapters. Now that might change and I hope it changes. But chapter two is, it, it opens up a big new area. Um, it's, not a, it's not like it's a totally different looking area, but it is a much 
it's a nice big expansive area that you get to um basically right on the other side of where you end chapter one but it's not a it's not a huge chapter with regard to like story content um so it does make me wonder you know in the long run how long is the story going to be because we haven't made a huge amount of progress with the 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 main quest of the characters yet we haven't even found the guy that they're looking for which to me seemed like was going to be like the first step of their search to find a cure for this horrible uh disease called the corrosion so like uh i'm just kind of find myself wondering like this could this could be meaty and not that that's a bad thing i'm just uh, my only concern is based off what the developers have said in terms of the roadmap and when they want the game to be like into beta and then full release seems like there could be still a lot left to come unless future chapters are like gigantic but so there are a number of improvements that have been added into this chapter they they are um they pretty much are they make small patches pretty fairly often to like hot fixes and whatnot to correct bugs and to add in of easier things that people ask for and then they have larger patches that uh larger patches that will be more technical in nature or will have lots of changes in them um, or the ones that obviously introduce new story chapters. So, and some of them are like, you know, uh, quality of life things, things like um, being able to more easily gauge uh, an enemy strength relative to yours by, uh, by different colors or icons to sort of indicate difficulty, things of that nature. One of the major additions is your, well, your first or possibly your only mount. I don't yet know. The UI has other slots, so I'm wondering if down the road we get different mounts as well. Not just the, the cats, which are the only ones right now? Right now it's the cats. They, uh, the Nekaroos is what they're called. And they're, they're gigantic cats um, with like um, a two forked tail or something like that and nice long luxurious ears they are adorable they look really swell i just want to snuggle one yes oh they they yeah i would love to just totally sleep against one at night and pray you know at a camp yeah um (laughs) you can pet them by the way which is like an important thing that all games that give you the option of you know seeing dogs and cats need to do I, it, it is known that if you give me a dog or a cat in a game, I better be able to pet it. Otherwise, 7 out of 10. Yeah. So you can pet them, and they love you when, when you pet them. And, of course, you ride them, and they, they're they fun to ride. Um, is there some sort of bonding system as similar to, say, like uh, Breath of the Wild's relationship with the horses or anything? Or the petting no. has no... It's just arbitrary. The petting, as of right now, is just a thing free to do which i'm happy i like you know it's satisfying (laughs) gave me the option to pet my giant cat mount but no there's no there's no affection level you can't feed them things and have them like trust you more or go faster or whatnot they uh the neckaroos do give you the option to do little uh hunting diversions they'll pick up on a scent and sort of give you a direction to head in and you have to sort of like follow the direction that the the uh, the icon is showing you and then when you get to wherever they smelled something they'll dig something up and it could be an enemy 
or it could be uh, an item like a potion or piece of gear or something like that. That'd be really neat for like quests if you had to like hunt down a person from like a fabric of their cloth of their, their or something or whatever, right? Actually, there there are side quests and a main story quest that that has you do that. Oh, so. cool! I'm glad they implemented that beyond just a gimmicky side quest game thing, so to speak. Yeah. It is kind of like, it's not perfect. It feels like your Nekuru will hone in on something that is half a mile away and you'll go along this meandering path, path, possibly running into enemies, which by the way, you still get into enemy encounters when you're mounted, which I kind of wish you didn't. Otherwise, the only real benefit is a slightly faster... You move faster with a Nekuru, but like it's not like holy crap, I'm just flying across this plane. So there's that. And I mean, that's something that they can they can tweak with future updates. I can't remember the combat. It's Is it turn-based or is it more kind of like Xenoblade? It's turn-based. So do the Nekru become a character in the battle then? No, they oh, are not so you present hop down. for fights. Yeah. That's you actually don't even leave your mount. Like you'll, you'll go into combat automatically and when you're done, you're still on your Nekru, which I guess is nice because it would kind of suck if you had to keep remounting your yeah. remount. Yeah. It just seems odd that they're just like, wait, we got to get down. We got to fight because these things yeah. can't. We all want to spare the cat, right? <laughs> yeah. So you still have to, if you don't want to get into fights, you still have to move around enemies even when you're mounted. And it it would have been nice if a, if a bonus of being mounted is that enemies don't really want to deal with you because you're on a giant cute cat and who would want to attack a giant cute cat? Yeah. Or if you could just even just like swipe them out of the way or something like that. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This don't is. Know. This is not Witcher 3, you know, so, which which is to say that Witcher 3 had mostly awkward mounted combat that was sometimes not totally not worth even attempting, but that's, I digress. There seemed to me to be a performance hit with this patch. Now, whether that's because of the game or because in the interim between chapters, I've uh, updated my drivers Sometimes running the most updated driver, you know, doesn't lead to the best performance for different games. Uh, I haven't gone back and rolled back my drivers to see how much of an effect that has. And this game's still in early access, right? It's still in early access, so it's not like it's supposed to be fully optimized or anything. But it, it did, there was a noticeable uh, frame rate hit for me from uh, first chapter to second chapter. They are uh, working on a, a, a GPU performance patch that should come out in a few weeks. So uh, I'm, I'm holding off uh, on writing up my thoughts for the site until we get that patch so that I can see what that does for performance. You know, just, I, I, I don't want to necessarily say in a preview that, oh, well, I had a, I had a 10 plus FPS drop after this patch, you know, if, if, if an upcoming GPU patch is going to, to address that. Yeah, if they're aware of it and plan to fix it, then may as well give them that chance to uh, remedy the situation. Yeah. And I mean, again, even if they don't, it's early access. It's not like it, it's not like I am expecting it to be running at super high frames per second, especially on my rig, which is not like super top of the line. So so that aside, they introduced a new thing that you can do uh, in the game if you don't want to just follow the main story. There is a lighthouse in the middle of this new area, which doesn't make any sense because I haven't seen an ocean or like a huge body of water, like a giant, like, I don't know, I don't know why there's a lighthouse. It's in smack dab in the middle of a gigantic landlocked, or mostly landlocked area, and I don't know, 
I didn't explore the edges of the entire area, but I don't, I'm not aware of there being like an ocean nearby per se. So it's kind of weird, but. Well, it sounds like it's going to either be a really neat piece of lore in terms of, you know, this lighthouse is, yeah, it has some sort of magical purpose or was put there from some sort of magical purpose or maybe where you are used to be an ocean and now there's not. Maybe. We don't know. But it's a, it's a lighthouse in the middle of a gigantic plane and it's basically a, it's, they're kind of going for like a, a semi-roguelike experience with this where every time you go in, every floor is randomly generated. So no, no, you know, no two floors are going to be the same and every time you go in, it's going to be a different layout. And your goal is eventually to get up to the 100th floor, which you can't do at present, uh, if I'm understanding things correctly. It only goes up to floor 10 right now. Um, and with things like the enemies will get progressively more difficult as you go up floors. There, I'm not sure if there may be other uh, elements to it and whatnot. And, you know, if you... If you die, you uh, the game does autosave uh, when you enter a floor, so you're not like completely screwed out of your progress. But you get ejected from the uh, the dungeon from the lighthouse and then have to start again. Don't know yet whether or not there will be like places for you to to like save or to to start over again. That's not floor one if you have to leave or if you like checkpoints get KO'd. Yeah, because I mean, a hundred floors all in one sitting could be really annoying, especially considering right now, as far as I can tell, enemies do not change how they aggro onto you based on levels. So you can be way over leveled for an enemy, and they will still, as soon as they see you, run towards you. Which means these air, these 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 floors are all fairly small corridors right now. It means you're probably going to be fighting almost every enemy on these floors as you try to find the, the access point to the next floor. So that could mean, you know, if that remains the case, it could be a very long climb up to floor 100. And there is an energy system in the game that basically um, boosts your stats and whatnot that slowly decreases with every action that you take and it would completely be gone by the time you get yeah you need somewhere to recharge that yeah they mentioned that they were going to add randomly there are going to be inns on every 10 floors don't know why there'd be an inn randomly in the middle of a tower like this but you will be able to rest and regain your energy that way so i'm wondering if they'll also like maybe let you restart from every 10 floors too so there's that. And I mean, like, it's an it's another thing to do. There seems to be very little story connected to it. It's just like a quest, like, hey, this this place kicked my butt, go check it out. And then it's, you know, very little uh, introduction. It's just climb these floors. But it's nice that they are thinking about other activities to give you in the game beyond uh, the main quests, the various side quests, and, like, gathering materials to craft things which is another thing you can do in the game which i don't think i mentioned in my preview of chapter one so that's a thing you can do other than that like i said it's not it wasn't a very long chapter it's about probably roughly about half the length time wise for me does it keep you wanting more though uh i am i am still sufficiently interested in in the quest be uh, beyond that though like my initial concerns was i'm i'm just wondering like how how long of a story are they planning here and if it's if patch wise it's not going to be super 
long, I'm then kind of getting a little concerned about where the story's going to go, but um, can only really wait and see what comes next. So That's fair enough. And do they have any indication as to when the next chapter is coming out? Have they offered that? I don't believe they have. They don't have a specific... It's, it's supposed to be every few months, so this would probably be sometime maybe late summer when I would probably expect the, the next uh, story chapter. As, the, as we had, like, uh, the original chapter one was released in December, and we just got this chapter a week, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, uh, in March. So it's been, it's been roughly four-ish months. Yeah, so summer sounds about right then. Yeah, right when all these other things are coming out. Yeah, you'll have so much time to play it. Yeah. Well, luckily, <laughs> luckily, I mean, it's not like I'm playing the entire game from scratch every time That's fair. Uh, a new chapter has come out. It's just a new chapter, so it doesn't take quite as much of time commitment. Yeah. Assuming that future chapters are roughly somewhere close to where they've been with the the first for the for the first two, which is somewhere between four to eight hours a piece. Yeah, it doesn't sound too bad. I guess it's a pretty truncated experience to get into the next thing. And I guess once all of the chapters roll out, then they're gonna be trying to finish off the complete package and get it out of early release. I guess. I think so. Yeah. Once everything's content wise is there, then we'll go into presumably a beta period and then a full release which will should also include console releases because right now it is only on pc Ah, uh, yes that's right i wonder if we'll get it on switch well i don't think it's right now in their plan but everything is coming to switch pretty much so wouldn't see why not yeah i mean i feel like it's always good to have something on the go like this yeah i mean hey Microsoft is trying to get their games on Switch, so, I mean, like, anything's possible. That, yeah, that's not uh, wrong. Uh, speaking of games that aren't on the Switch, Left Alive came out. Ooh. And, yeah, I, I just, my, you pretty much just quoted on my notes that I was going to talk about here, but first thing is oof. And, yeah. Did you ever play Front Mission, Caitlin? No, I have not. I've wanted to, but it's one of those things where I've never... I've been interested, but I guess not so interested that I was like, okay, I'm going to set time aside to play it. And also, there's how many games now in the series? I, I was always like, where do I even start? I think there's this? four that we got. Well, no, maybe five, because there was also Front Mission Evolved, which I don't think did great. Uh, but that being said, we only got Front Mission 1 as an English port to the DS back in the day, Oof. and which was good it was that we finally got it, because, yeah, my first experience with Front Mission 1 was playing it as, a, as an emulator that was translated. So having it on the DS, they added some little bit of expanded story content and stuff. It was really neat to play. And uh, if you can find it on the DS, I do recommend starting there. It's a good game. It plays kind of like... Okay tactics advance in a sense if for how it kind of looks sprite wise and such but the tactics are cool customizing the mecha is cool three was awesome on the playstation and it had a really neat mini game where you got to like hack the internet through one of your characters because they had its own in built-in like internet system and email system that was used for oh. part of like the plot devices and stuff oh, and cool. part of it had you trying to hack into various government websites to get information for some side stuff if i recall correctly oh neat so i thought that was really neat and it made you feel very, uh, very, very sneaky and and uh, 
I don't know. I just felt very cool being a hacker, even though I clearly knew nothing about it and the game was doing it for you. It was just very satisfying when you successfully like got into a database, figured out a password and all that stuff. It was very neat. And 4 was kind of more of the same, but really neat. The The engine was fantastic that it was built in for the PlayStation 2, and I just found a really great game. The I was always attracted to it from its uh, concept art that just looked stunning, and then the gameplay itself was great, I remember. And then after that, it kind of trickled down. Are they connected story-wise, though? Does one have to play the older ver- older games in order to enjoy the more recent ones? As I recall, no. Like you, There's some context. like They just kind of reference vaguely like the events of it, but it's always like in a, back in the day, this happened, now here's the game. So you're <laughs> not really missing out on, it's not like there's any characters that were important to the history of it that they reference directly in any of the games, as I recall. Each one's kind of its own standalone tale, much kind of like Final Fantasy, except it references the past, unlike Final Fantasy. So they're aware of the past happened, but the story itself doesn't depend on it in each of the games, if I recall correctly. Two, I don't think we ever got Front Mission 2 out here either, but I would definitely recommend four or three or one if you can track down any of those ones. And then there was, uh, I want to say it's called Gun Hazard or something. It was like a weird, like, side-scrolling one. That sounds like an awful title. <laughs> well, it was, yeah, it was, it sounds, uh, I guess, Japanese as heck when it comes to adding random English words to things. But yeah, there's a front mission Gun Hazard was like a side-scrolling role-playing shooter. And it feels like that's more what this is with Left yeah. Alive. Because Left Alive takes place in the front mission universe, which had me very excited about it. Because I was like, oh, good. I get to get in my uh, my Vonzer again. And I wasn't really looking at anything about the game until we got it. And I was like, oh, this is not a tactical game at all in any way shape or form so that threw me for a second and then the more i started playing it and realizing the game kind of feels like it's wanting you to play it like it's a tomb raider game that you're a survivor in this war between these two countries that are fictitiously made up that as i recall have nothing to do with the main series and you're a survivor in the city just trying to escape the enemy occupation which is neat and you're trying to be stealthy and find things to craft with and secondhand weapons and stuff all very similar to kind of how the new tomb raider series has played except it doesn't play nearly as fluidly or as nicely as those games it's clunky and the stealth system like the ai is just they see you for no apparent reason sometimes just the way like they're they have really hard patterns to analyze and part of that is they try to make the world feel very alive which i respect but with the changing patterns and everything, it can, yeah, really catch players off guard and it punishes you for that failure. Like, if you're getting shot, it doesn't take much for you to be to be uh, paralyzed, I guess, more for lack of a better term, with the damage you're taking. And, you know, in switching around between healing items and traps and your grenades, there's so many different combinations of buttons that you're trying to remember to use and the heat of it all. Like, you spend a lot of time fighting with the control scheme and how sluggish it all feels that the fluid gameplay that it seems like they would want for this kind of game just kind of falls by the wayside that's never a good thing you shouldn't and exactly that's that's the biggest problem because i'm intrigued by the world i'm intrigued by the conflict i really like how so far i haven't gotten i'm only in like three or four missions and i think there's 12 it seems like they have some really cool opinions on how 
people deal with being in the war and as functioning as survivors and dealing with the stress of it all like i enjoy what they're trying to build but the moments in between these story takes are just so unnecessarily drawn out because you're constantly fighting against the game's clunkiness so they had a lot of great ideas but they just failed in the execution and that makes me sad because <laughs> i worried now that this game is going to be like the death knell because as far as i know front mission 5 scars of the war didn't do that great either so i don't know how much more front mission we're going to get and you know i like that they were trying to mix things up by taking the game into a different context and you know you still get the pilot mechs now and again when you find one and it feels more kind of uh it feels more like you're playing armored core sort of but just a little sluggish because these aren't uh, streamlined for the rapid quick movements like they were they're more like just big walking tanks so you're just kind of pointing and shooting at stuff and are they are they wait is, so they're slow and is it just like a slow yeah. walking firing simulator kind of thing pretty much you can, you can move in any direction you want and stuff so you don't have to you know the fights against other vonzers basically boils down to what it more or less looks like in the strategy game where you just point and shoot at each other mm. you can kind of strafe a bit but it's not doing too much except kind of throwing off where they're exactly targeting because when you are shooting at the enemy mecha you can target like specifically legs and arms and stuff like that not necessarily you know there's no um, locked hard targeting i didn't i wasn't playing with aim assist so i don't know if that factors in there but you can at least if you're aiming, you can aim at the arm and then knock out that weapon so that way they can't use it against you, for example, or take out their legs so then they can't shift and move and get behind things anymore. Okay. But you're walking through city streets, so it's not like strafing and there's no really big open places so far mm. that I've found. I'm sure that'll change later on. Like one of the characters, because right now it's bouncing between two characters, uh, Mikhail and Olga. Uh, when you're playing as Olga, she's not a Vonzer pilot. She's just a local police officer who's kind of stuck in things. And you're trying to dodge Vonzers and stuff that are sitting out there on patrol, as well as like enemy drones and enemy troops. So it's in a big open area, and I imagine we'll get to fight in those open areas at some point again down the line. Because I imagine this game will retread the small area in which it takes place. Mm, like yeah. I've already gone back to different chapters with Mikhail and just been in a different part of the city, but you can go back and visit the parts you were at where enemy troops have repositioned and stuff like that based on what's going on in the moment. Does that, do different characters have like different abilities or skills that allows you to like go back to a previous area and find something that you, you couldn't as a previous, another character? Not so much. The, the difference in the characters is simply just their plot lines. Mm. The game, as far as its RPG elements goes, are very light. Like it's more, you're playing through an action narrative game Okay. because the stat, changes if you could call it that because you, you have no stats as your character but you can find armor around that you can pick up that eventually takes too much damage and and breaks you can find different weapons which again have melee weapons have a certain lifespan which is frustrating Ugh, so God, after you whack someone with a shovel a certain amount of times it breaks and i get it it's the whole survival aspect but yeah it's super frustrating and weapons the guns don't seem to break but again Ammo is finite. Ammo, yeah. So that's fine. So the big difference you have between the two characters isn't so much skills or anything like that because they both do the same things. They can both craft the same stuff. They both have access to the same inventory. But it's their own inventory. So the only difference you'll have is what you've shared amongst the characters. Like every save place 
there's a little uh, terminal that can heal you. I'm playing on standard setting, and it, I don't know if it changes from each one, but in the standard setting, it heals you a max of three times, and then it's expended. Mm. There's your little saving station that you can do an actual save file at, and it because there's also checkpoints that it will save at, but those can definitely set you back if you uh, die in an opportune moment. And then there's uh, a little cachet box where you can stash stuff because the other part of the inventory system is you have a finite amount of stuff you can carry. You have a max weight limit, which does get expanded if you can find a backpack, but it's only so much. So like you can carry like 3,000 units or whatever it is, and you know a gun can take up a lot of that and oh. your armor can take up a lot of that and stuff like that. So Yay. so you can carry so you can't just be hoarding a bunch of weapons cuz you can only have three different things equipped at a time and usually you'll want like a melee weapon if you can find one that isn't broken and cuz it's quieter whereas the guns you'll want in when you're in a tight spot and uh, carrying around, you know, six different types of weapons just isn't possible because of the weight limits. Luckily, ammo doesn't take up any space, but then when you're crafting things like mines and remote control grenades and uh, healing items and stuff like that, all those begin to add up in weight, and all the crafting materials begin to add up in weight as well. So you're constantly playing a management system with that, which can sometimes be tedious, but for the most part, the one fun part of the gameplay, again, is with all these traps and this survival aspect, is you tend to go through these things really quickly. The game doesn't entirely encourage you to hoard a lot, mm -hmm. because you'll definitely get stuck in a lot of sticky situations where you're like, after trial and error, if you failed by just charging into it, or failed to take someone out stealthily because it's just there's too many enemies around to stumble upon you in action, you'll want to slowly narrow them down, uh, thin them out with grenades or with traps that you lay when you start the combat kind of things. So that way you can lure them into traps with you. Do you feel like the game gives you enough resources to do what it asks you to do? Is it is it difficult in part because there's scarcity or is it more so just, you know, things don't work the way that you think that they should work part of it is the latter yeah there's things that just don't seem to work like i think they should work like for example shooting in the game is bizarre it seems like when you're because the whole game is third person so it seems like when you focus to aim as any game does where you kind of base are quote unquote looking down the sights mm -hmm. it seems to track the fire from your shoulder through the sights so if something interrupts that space like if you're trying to shoot around the corner it'll hit the corner even if the gun's ahead of the corner. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, I hate it when that happens. Like, that's weird. And so there's that. There's the other aspect that, you know, if you're moving around, the reticle gets bigger, which means your fire is gonna, firing isn't going to be as accurate. But even when you're just standing stationary, it doesn't always feel like the aiming is very accurate, which is frustrating, especially since there's no aiming stat to speak of. So it kind of feels like a weird, clunky version of kind of what was going on in, like, Mass Effect 1 where oh, it was yeah. kind of twitch, but kind of not. <laughs> That's frustrating as well, because there's no way for you to augment that. The UI is a little hard to read, because everything is in like a very vibrant, angry red <laughs> yeah. when you're highlighting it, and then the text on it is black. And then there's just so much information thrown at you that it's hard to remember everything. And I found one sniper rifle, but you can't reload those. They're basically a one-shot use. What? Yeah, you basically can shoot with however much ammo you have, and then once it's done, it's done. You can't rearm uh, them because I guess it'd be too OP or whatever. I don't know. Well, I don't like that. Right? 
I like uh, being sneaky and even, you know. What kind of what kind of tactical shooter doesn't let you be a sniper? Well, exactly, because they can punish you with the fact that they're loud, so it's going to draw attention. But nope, they just choose to punish you that you get you know however many rounds it comes with. The problem too is if you swap to any other gun, then it's just gone. It ceases to what? exist, so you can only use it while you have it. Which is another thing, so you can't store it for like the moment you need it. Is this is like every gun? No, just the just the sniper rifle. The sniper. Oh god. Yeah, like every other gun, you can cycle through as one of your three ones, but the sniper rifle comes as like a fourth one. But when once you cycle off of it, you can't go back to it. It just ceases to exist. Like with anything. Once you pick it up, you pick it up thinking I might need this, and then you get into a situation where it's a detriment to have a sniper rifle versus. A more a cl- more close range weapon, you're screwed. You either have to use the weapon in an opportune moment or switch to a more conventional weapon. Basically, and lose. Okay, that's awful. Yeah, that's really it just bad. seems really silly. Like I don't know why they made that design choice. Like it, it basically makes it feel like a power up uh, that you have for like a limited time kind of thing. Which again, I get they're trying. It shouldn't to... be a sniper rifle. That should be like a rocket launcher or a grenade launcher. That right. should be that. Exactly, because that's very scarce ammo, for sure. I mean, it's like sniper rifles can be powerful, but it's also can be really hard to be a good sniper. Yeah. And especially in a game like this where it sounds like the the actual aiming of the game is sometimes fighting with you as opposed to, you know, being a smooth experience. Exactly. And then coupled with the survival aspect of it that you're trying to do everything quietly, a big loud bang because you're not going to they could just make it so you never get a silenced sniper rifle. It's going to draw attention. Yeah. And then the other thing about it is you can, most games that have stealth, like Deus Ex or Lara Croft Tomb Raider games, uh, the recent ones, you know, you can stealth kill people. If you, Mm -hmm. you're rewarded with your patience in analyzing enemy patterns of sneaking up behind someone that you can kill them. Not in this one. You sneak up behind someone with a pipe or a shovel or whatever, and you can target them and then you can whack them. And then you got to whack him again. And then you got to whack him again. On the third <laughs> one, they'll finally fall down. Then you can kind of do a coup de gras and kill them in a one shot. Assuming your weapon isn't badly damaged. If your weapon's badly damaged, it won't one shot them. Is there, can, can you punch? Is there unarmed punching? You can like pistol whip. But all it really does is just knock them off balance kind of thing for a second. Conversely, if they pistol whip you, it knocks you flying. Oh, wow. Which is okay. bizarre. And so you feel ex- extremely helpless. Same thing happens, like, if you're behind cover and you peek out, and if they're shooting at you and they start clipping you with their shots, it makes your character stand up out of cover. What? It Like, it breaks whatever the mechanic is to be locked against the cover, which is very frustrating. It catches you off guard, because then you're like, ah, I'm getting pinned with bullet fire, and now I need to awkwardly try and get back behind my cover and then go back into ducking and then get myself against the cover. This is- like a fundamental function of a cover-based shooter is that that doesn't happen. Exactly. Like, I get you should be punished if you're sticking your head out the wrong time, but then, yeah, you should be able to whip yourself back under, not stun-locked out of it, so to speak. You get punished by taking damage. You don't get punished by being staggered and thrown out of cover where you take more damage. Yeah. And so it's like little things like that that they didn't seem to take into account that just makes what otherwise should be a really neat stealth survival system in a really intriguing setting 
makes it just not fun. Mm. And it's so unfortunate because there's there's so many other games that you should just play instead that do this a lot more fun. Ah. <laughs> uh. Well, that's super disappointing. Exactly. It, I've, I've, this game has been on my radar since it was first revealed and we got that, uh, the art, because it was like, holy Metal Gear. Right. And, and this is really, the game looks really sad. good. But yeah. It does? it does? Okay. Yeah, the game looks pretty good. Like, it's, uh, the character models are, are really well done, really well animated. The, the dubbing is a little eh, but it's mm. easily to forgive because the performances I find are pretty genuine. And I like... You know the the drabness of the world. It's it's drab because it's a war torn city, but they've still done it well. Everything looks really nice. The character, or sorry, the um, the weapon models and the enemy models, all that stuff's very neat. It's rare that I've seen any sort of weird glitchiness with laying out of the world and stuff like that. But it feels bleak, but still, it's well done. So that's good in the actual cutscenes themselves. Again, the acting is fairly convincing, even if sometimes they make some odd story choices. I've had uh, definitely like one enemy who kind of catches you off guard, like right in the first mission and could just end the game right there, but for no explicable reason. So it's like, ah, we'll continue this conversation later and just leaves. And it's just like <laughs> the whole thing has been about the enemy finding your troops and just slaughtering them because they're trying to clean out the city. So one of them finds you and then chooses not to for story reasons. I just discovered you and I can kill you, but I'm feeling generous today, so you get to live. Yeah, it's kind of standard like anime bad guy, whatever. But the one nice thing is neither of the bad guys so far that we've kind of run into with each character, neither of the, the story bad guys have been caught monologuing, which oh, is good. nice. <laughs> and then they, like, they'll go on like a, a diatribe about whatever it is that's on their mind, so to speak. But at one point, the character's just like... What are you planning? What are you doing here? They're like, I'm not telling you that. And then they just move on. I'm like, okay, good. I'll give I'm you not that falling pass. for that trick. <laughs> kind of, right? Yeah, I'm not going to get you monologuing. Uh, and then that's what's also inter- interesting is these story beats. You get to make choices in the moment. Okay. So uh, sometimes it's just an A and B. Sometimes you get uh, four different options. Sometimes it's three. And it's essentially, yeah, you just reacting to what they say. And it does have an outcome that alters things down the line as far as I'm told kind of um you know uh, walking deadish so to speak um, Ooh, telltale yeah kind of telltale like so you know uh, it'll affect things down the line as I'm told beyond just the immediate moment because uh, it seems like especially in that first encounter uh when you get to the end of each mission there's like a, a tally of all the stuff you kind of did and what your decisions kind of did in those moments and one of the ones in that first one said, like, you survived that encounter. So I was like, oh, so based on some of my answers, he could have just outright shot me then. So clearly <laughs> I did something to make him want to spare me. So okay. that's kind of huh. neat. And I like that it that plays well and is really well integrated. And that's the small bit that makes you want to suffer through the terrible action gameplay to get to these really neat story beats where I kind of get to determine things. And the side quests in the world almost always involve... Uh, a survivor because that's the whole thing right they're all survivors and you're trying to find other survivor npcs and again that system mostly seems good but sometimes seems a little broken with how like their own their their own little self-contained missions for example one npc i found then triggered enemy ai that immediately knew where he was (sighs) so in the first one that kind of made sense because his things was like oh my gosh they found me was as soon as you talked to him so you clearly fell into a trap Whereas there was another one where I rescued, was coming to his rescue, and you have to basically lead them, help them through the map 
to get to a certain place where the survivors can go into hiding, like a, a safe zone. Mm-hmm. So you have to try and lead them past enemy troops and such. But for some reason, as soon as, again, I activated this person, it spawned new troops that came right to the area where I talked to this person, even though there was no reason for it because I hadn't alerted anybody. He didn't do anything to alert anybody. He hadn't even moved yet. I had already cleared out any enemies that were in the path. So I was then locked in this, like, 30 minutes of reliving this horrible moment of trying to figure out how to get this person out alive or myself out alive without alerting all the additional troops that I had kind of left off to the side that I knew we could get around because these two new troops that spawned were triggering a firefight which caught their attention and I just kept getting stuck in a loop where either the survivor died or I died (laughs) just because of this random programming thing of like oh they suddenly know where I am and they're gonna run right to me and it's just like what? There was no reason for this. So those kind of things, again, get a little frustrating with the with how that all works out. And if you're going along, because you can tell them to stop or go when you deem it being safe as you're clearing things out. Again, another thing that can throw a wrench in things is as you're clearing enemies. If you're, I feel like it happens when you're taking too long. The enemies will catch on that they're losing troops in that area and redistribute and redeploy. So oh. that can oh, be problematic. Oh, goody. So you could spend a whole bunch of time clearing out an area, you know, to make it easier for yourself and... I don't know, to like feel accomplished and then it's like, hey, redeploy. Yeah, and then suddenly well, they have what's called the heat map. So you look at your map and it shows these big areas of red where it's not a good idea to go into because enemy troop levels have gotten so intense there. And even your little system will alert you that uh, the enemies are aware that you're here now and uh, enemy incursions are bound to happen. So it's just like, well, at this point, how am I supposed to get these survivors through? Whether they're a combative survivor or a non-combative, they almost always get paralyzed by the fact that they're being shot at and then just get gunned down. Uh... So it can be a really frustrating system, even though, again, it was well-intended. And it's rewarding when you can get them through and save them. But other times you're just like, ugh. Even one time, actually, I was in on my way to a side quest point where an NPC was waiting for me to find them and guide them to whatever i hadn't started their quest yet i just knew it it was a quest marker for me to get to and on the way there i had done something with some one of the one or two of the enemies i was fighting that they decided to run off or leave and i was like oh okay but apparently they went off and saw the npc that i hadn't found and killed them before i could get there before you picked up the quest exactly which i thought (laughs) on the one hand i was like oh well thanks game but the other thing was like well that's kind of neat i guess like they're they don't exist in a vacuum so I thought yeah. that was kind of cool, but it was still frustrating that I was just like, oh, this quest has already failed before I could even begin it. Well, all right. <laughs> so. Especially because you didn't like do anything necessarily that you could tell that caused that directly. It's just that they just spontaneously decided to give up fighting you. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they just something triggered them to randomly go in this person's direction. If something I did caused the NPC to move, like if I caused an explosion or something, I don't know what it was. They just decided to redeploy or redistribute troops. And I guess somehow they ended up on the path of the NPC and gunned them down. (laughs) And of course, since I wasn't protecting the NPC, nothing warned me that was happening because I hadn't met them. So the system hadn't registered them. Because you have this system called Koshka, which is basically, for lack of a better term, it's Navi or Fee. (laughs) Uh, and almost as it's almost as infuriating because it'll constantly once you have it there's no way to turn it off like if it'll constantly warn you that an enemy's approaching so like if you're trying to sneak up on an enemy 
every like two seconds they'll be like the enemy is approaching the enemy is approaching the enemy is approaching like i'm aware i'm walking towards them and obviously it doesn't tip them off but it's just annoying to listen to that all the time especially if you're like staring at the enemy like i know also they're not approaching i'm moving towards them exactly and you know there's definitely i won't um, discredit it like there's been the odd time where that's caught my attention when like a drone has been coming up i'm like okay cool thanks for the heads up but i wish you could then like acknowledge it or something and then just have it Mm -hmm. not alert you at all for that enemy anymore or something yeah because then every time it comes near you or every time you're like skirting by like a wanzer it's just like the enemy is approaching and it's just like yeah i see the giant robot thanks (laughs) (laughs) you know and so that's just it's almost obnoxious as like your batteries are running low master so as uh, fee was guilty of in skyward sword so there's just a lot of weird little design elements in the actual action gameplay as i was saying that just really bogs the game down but if you can get to the cool story moments which also happened with some of the survivors like i was talking to one survivor i was trying to convince her to come with me and it, and i didn't say the right things with my options i was given and she ended up shooting herself in the head by deciding Ooh. there was nothing worth living for and i was like oh, oh well all right i failed that one so yeah, what you say matters, and even with these side quests, not just with the main overarching storyline. So I'm intrigued to see where my decisions take me as the missions missions progress. Uh, I just did a mission where the two protagonists have met, but they don't join forces. They just decide to go their separate ways again. Oh, okay. So they haven't done anything together yet except been like, oh, hey, we're both here and we're both surviving. We're on the same side. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to go do my thing. You do your thing. We'll maybe meet up again later. And I've met another character who starts giving you quests. He's a photojournalist who's basically behind enemy lines trying to get the scoop on the whole war thing and talk to the greater uh, plot that is at play with why this war was started. Because it's all proxy wars in this world. There's no actual war in a grand scheme because of the way the global economy works now. But there's still proxy mm-hmm. wars and stuff like that. So this is one of those. And this photojournalist seems to be able to play the game better than I am. Because he can get anywhere and do anything, and he's been following me around the whole time and so is aware of my actions. And I'm just like, how do I get like you? (laughs) (laughs) I want to be that sneaky. I want to be that good at this. Maybe he's a solid snake in disguise, you know. Right? Dashing, handsome, French, black, solid snake. What name? Pliskin, right? Uh, Oh, right, yeah. His first name, but in Middle Earth, too. Yeah. So there's a lot of issues with the game, but if you can push through it like i definitely recommend taking square up on their offer of discounting it out the gate and uh playing it at a discount you can find some really neat moments and you know you can appreciate what they were trying to go for but at the same time if you don't want to put it on the easiest setting and still suffer through this experience like it's something to pass i think but i'm gonna wait and reserve a complete judgment for the final end game because maybe the story will ratchet it up to something that I really want to push through and see. So I still have a good half of the game to go through. And it's part of why I've been playing Breath of the Wild again. Because I just wanted <laughs> to play something fun. And <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a palate cleanser. Yeah, I needed it. Because, yeah, you're just banging your head against the wall sometimes with it. So uh, I apologize for anyone listening. It's a bit discouraging uh, a review of it so far. But like I said, there's opportunity the story could turn it around, but it's been not getting great reviews, and I don't think those people are entirely wrong so far. So we shall see what comes out of it from me. Because I tend to review a little more positively than the average Joe, so they could get a gimme from me. <laughs> <laughs> but we shall see. Yeah, so Left Alive 
We'll see if I leave it alive after my review. Otherwise... <laughs> or if it's dead walking. Yeah. Like, it's got a lot of like, little, little endgame content and stuff to find, too. Like, these archives and, you know, trying to get all the survivors in a mission. Like, it definitely offers you to replay each mission if you feel you want to make different choices or try things again. So there's a lot of replay value to it. And it's just a question of if I'll want to go back to it and try it. And I have it now, so I feel like it's something I might boot up again after I've completed it in a few years to be like, oh, let's try it again. You know, we'll, well see. Hopefully they'll they'll patch some things, maybe. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they might I just, don't... Square Enix might just say, this is awful, let's not devote more resources to it. But it sounds like there are some, at least relatively, like, I, not being a, a developer or programmer, I don't know, but I feel like some of the things that you said could probably be patched like relatively simply compared to you know the the entirety of the game yeah like i'm sure there's some mechanics they can futz with there are some details of like yeah how like the sniper rifle works for example yeah or like at the very least letting you mute that that voice maybe like yes yes please let 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 me turn it off i mean hey since you have different difficulty levels if turning it off on some level means a harder experience, why won't you let me have that? It could exactly. be a super duper challenge mode to like have no, you know, uh, audio aid there. Yeah. If you don't have that guide constantly pointing everything out to you, it would definitely make things more of a challenge because, yeah, you can't be looking everywhere at once and sometimes a patrol changes and they just saunter up behind you and you're like, oh gosh. So. I don't know. When I first got it, I was like, okay, cool. I see where like they get their information from as a, you know, they have this onboard basically computer for every soldier to kind of analyze combat readiness and effectiveness and all that neat stuff. And oh gosh, it won't shut up. And I immediately <laughs> went to the options to like try and find like, can I turn it off? Can I turn off that voice? Can it? No. Oh, okay. So I have to live with this. All right. Thanks game. A AI was a mistake. <laughs> exactly. What have we done? Exactly. They won't shut up. She just wants to be heard. I mean, it's a very nice voice. I don't begrudge the actor or anything that was done with it, but it's just, yeah, I've said it. It's it's Captain Obvious all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's Left Alive. And um, if you give it a shot, let me know what you think. I'd be curious to see what other people think of it. It could be one of those uh, unpopular game opinions that someone just really loves it, you know? There's definitely some stuff in there to, to appreciate. And we'll see if... Uh, I'm willing to find it. <laughs> so we're coming to the end of the episode. But first of all, at the end of each episode, we usually say, hey, you can email us and we tell you where to do that. And people actually have been doing it, which has been nice. Now that I'm on top of um, hosting the podcast, I get to check those emails. And we've gotten some on the past couple. Episode 159, we were written to by Jeremy, who was, uh, well, first of all, he said it was a terrific episode and was really pleased with your take, Caitlin, on Octopath Traveler. Uh, it was oh, his game of the year for 2018, so he's glad that you're really digging it. Nice. And it's a great I game. I just did the review of the soundtrack. Uh, that went up last week, this past week. Uh, it's all blur right now. But that <laughs> just went up, and I was really happy with my review on that, kind of reapproaching the music again. Uh, I still haven't gotten the full context of it, but I guarantee that soundtrack just sounds so good when actually in-game, in context. You got a, a Twitter mention from Nishiki, didn't you? I did, and that made me so happy. I was just, I couldn't believe that he, I don't know if he read the whole review or just clocked that it exists. Either way, it's in his best interest, of course, to engage in the fan base and 
be aware of what people are saying about his work. But I'm I'm happy to have him say it was a good review. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So that was really nice to, because yeah, I think he's he's got a really promising career if Octopath Traveler soundtrack is any indication, and if he's someone I start to follow with earnest, I'm happy he's aware I exist <laughs> in some small facet. Like he's doing some great stuff that feels very akin to what uh, you know the quote unquote forefathers of. RPG music have established mm-hmm. from the Super Nintendo days and all the way up to yeah, the PlayStation and everything. And it sounds so much like that, as I'm sure being a music lover, you agree? Yes, yeah, totally. And yeah, and uh, so thanks, Jeremy, for that email. And also Jonathan Davies. Jonathan Davies wrote to us about 160, again, saying it was a great episode. Really liked uh, what, Caitlin, you had to say about Anthem. Because uh, it's possibly something, again, he's been considering. So hearing the press on it is always good oh, before diving into it. Did I save you some money? I hope I saved you some money. <laughs> At least until we see what it grows into, right? And if it's more yeah. worth the while down the line. Uh, and he was also enjoying Gwen's enthusiasm, as it was uh, quite adorable, which I think we can all agree. It's, I've been hearing that commentary from not just uh, folks at the website, but anyone who's listened that uh, Gwen is adorable, yes. and I appreciate it. <laughs> and he, like us, is looking forward to the new Pokemon game. Uh, he actually answered our question, too. He thinks that a dark grass type would be a good evolution to see from mm. the uh, the grass type, which uh, I think was what Silosi said, too, wasn't it? Did he say grass dark? Or no, he said grass steel, because we were saying... Yes, I think he was talking about that. Yeah. It's all Greek to me. I'm sorry. Still <laughs> such a Pokemon not-in-the-know person. <laughs> you poke noob. Yes. Oh, that's perfect. And uh, otherwise, he was talking about, um, for him, he was enjoying the discussion that we had about the bouncing off games, because he's, like, had some issues with some of the clunky GUI in Fallout 2. Oh, uh, which, oh wow. Right? And I'm like, I'll fight you. <laughs> I love Fallout and Fallout <laughs> 2. But I suppose it can be a little cumbersome, especially if you're going back to it. Depends on, like, in, of its time, it was probably fine. But I think on reflection, it is a little uh, counterintuitive in some ways. And he was also talking about, uh, oddly enough, that we brought it up in the episode, too, was Day of the Tentacle. And he was saying how like he didn't find the story very compelling, which, mm. you know, to each their own. And which was the great part, as I said, about that discussion last week or two weeks ago was just that we all had a game that we're like, eh, this game. But like the other two of us were like, oh, I like that game. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same thing. Like it's what's great about sharing your opinions on these games and doing it in a safe place with people who want to have this discourse is that. You know, so everyone's going to have differing opinions and everyone's going to have different feelings the way a game is going to hit them. It doesn't always have to be the same. And it's okay to talk about that and and, and disagree because that fuels passionate discussion because you're going to find something, even if you don't fully agree with someone else's overall point of view on a game, there's still going to be elements of what they're talking about. They're like, oh, I can see your point there. And yeah, that's valid, but I don't like it because of this. And that's okay. We don't have to like everything. And it's the... The reviewer's dilemma, I guess, right? Yeah. Opinions, man. We all got them. <laughs> uh, there's a derogatory quote that relates to all that, and I can't remember what the heck it is now. Uh, it, it involves uh, a hole. That's what it was. In the body. Moving along, though. Thank you very much for the emails, uh, Jonathan and Jeremy. And anyone else you want to send us emails, please do. I do read them. I do like responding to them. I love chatting with fans. I'll respond to you on Discord, because people respond to us there as well. And keep sending us questions. I didn't really put out a call for them on this one. Just uh, this past week has been a blur for myself getting ready to uh, produce a film that we're shooting 
next month, so I've kind of been more focused on, you know, that. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, uh, my producing partner, my fiance, would be quite upset if I didn't do my work. So, <laughs> I don't want to sleep on the couch. <laughs> and I want to make a movie and be good at it. So, it's my third thing I'm getting into producing on, so I want to keep improving. And so, it takes my attention, of course. But that being said, hey, Caitlin, do you remember our email address? Do you know where people can email us at? Uh, well, I believe it's podcast at rpgfan.com. Ding, ding, ding. She wins. Yes. You can email us there with comments, questions, complaints. Send us spare potions. We would appreciate that. We also have other podcasts. We have Retro Encounter with uh, weekly episodes. Yeah, Mike puts them out at a crazy rate. Yeah, I don't. I still don't know how he's managed to do that. It's crazy. He holds I think himself he must accountable. Must have like one of those, what are they called? Time spinners from Harry <laughs> Potter, where he just like goes back in time, right? To do all of this, you know, one episode, another episode, and then somehow have like a a, a real life in between all of it. And still manage to play other games as well. Yeah, he stays on top of it. Uh, as far as the other podcast goes. Uh, Rhythm Encounter is still something you can listen to, even though we haven't put out a new episode for, it's been two years now, three years. It's been a while that we sadly have not had it's been any a Rhythm while, Encounter. Yeah. It's a, It's been about two because we, I think the last episodes were in 2017. But it's something that we haven't fully let die. It's out there. Speaking of music of the year, we just recently posted our, it's a, it's a text only feature. There's no uh, podcast version but we did have a music of the year write-up feature where we had we had side awards and then we also had uh anyone who wanted to participate uh, from our staff uh, did their own personal awards complete with samples so if you are interested in that uh it's still as of this recording it's still on our featured sidebar but probably by the time we post actually it'll definitely be gone when we post this episode because this episode will push it off if nothing else does. I take priority. But you can still find it, of course, by looking through our news archives and our features and whatnot. So if you like that, please do check that out. Exactly. Yeah, we've got plenty of music stuff going on. Even if the podcast hasn't happened, people constantly talk about our music reviews. And it's one of the reasons they like coming to the website because we have so many and keep on top of it. Largely because Patrick is a machine. And uh, Marcos is great at keeping on top of all that, too. Holy crap, Pat. Right? He just, like, breathes, lives and breathes music. So, until Rhythm comes back, we've got all that to go off of. Uh, until Retro comes out next week, I'm sure you have umpteen episodes that you can listen to. But until those next episodes come out, thank you so much for listening, everybody. For myself and Caitlin, keep playing games, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.